Happy New Year, everybody. I have really enjoyed our daily connections in the lead up to today. If you're not part of the Finding Community Forum, I hope you'll be so soon. To kick off the first of what I hope will become hundreds of conversations for years to come, I thought I'd quote the wisdom of the immortal playwright William Shakespeare. But first, let me set the stage. If you're familiar at all with any of Shakespeare's plays, you'll know that plotting the murder of someone close to you is a staple ingredient. In the play As You Like It, it's no exception. And this one features Oliver trying to do away with his younger brother Orlando again and again and again. I'm guessing Orlando would have gone on trying till he succeeded, but for his younger brother doing something that shakes Oliver to the core. In spite of Oliver's repeated attempts at Orlando's life, Orlando risks his own life to save his older brother from certain death at the hands, or in this case, the claws and teeth of a lion. Now, Oliver, whom you recall has made many an attempt on his brother's life, is praising that very same brother and telling the story of Orlando's heroics to a couple women when one of these women stops him a little confused and says, and I'm paraphrasing here, wait a second, aren't you that same guy who kept trying to kill Orlando? Oliver's response is powerful and gets at the heart of today's conversation. Confidently, he replies, "'Twas I, but tis not I.'" I do not shame to tell you what I was, since my conversion so sweetly tastes, being the thing I am. Translation? Yeah, that was me, but I'm not that same guy now. And I'm not ashamed to acknowledge who I was then, because I'm so pleased with who I have since become. In this week's conversation, we're exploring something that matters a great deal to all of us. That is, the concept of change or growth. What does it mean to change? Is enduring change truly possible? If so, what are the secret ingredients? These are just some of the questions we'll explore today. But before we do that, let's take a second just to slow down, become aware of ourselves and our surroundings, and get grounded. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, if you can safely do so, Just pause for a bit and let yourself settle into your body and surroundings in this moment. If you feel comfortable closing your eyes, go ahead and do so. Now turn your focus to your breath. Allow yourself three deep cleansing breaths, breathing deeply in, holding just for a moment, and then letting the air release. Do this three times, each time feeling the release and relaxation. One more time. Now shift to regular breathing, not trying to force your breath in any way, just letting your body breathe as it wants and notice what there is to notice. Where do you feel your breath? In your chest, shoulders, stomach, nostrils, somewhere else? 
Perhaps you can sense the cool air on your nostrils as you inhale and the slightly warmed air as you exhale. What is it like to pause and just be with your breath? What is it like to sit with silence? Whatever you're feeling, do your best to just notice your thoughts, feelings, sensations without needing to judge them as right or wrong or try to make sense of why. Just trying to notice and let things be. And now, as we come back to the present conversation, take a moment to sit with your thoughts and feelings around the concept of change in your life. What are your experiences with trying to change or grow? What are your beliefs? In what ways do you fear or embrace change? Does the idea feel positive or negative to you? What did you learn as a child growing up about what change is and how to think and feel about it? As we continue with the conversation, I invite you to try and find and stay with a sense of openness and curiosity to understand yourself better without judgment around the thoughts and feelings that come up for you. When something resonates with you, it's a good idea to pause the conversation and take time to think deeply, talk with someone about it, and or write down some of your thoughts for later exploration. Okay, now that we're in an open, curious space, let's talk about change and growth, and specifically how it relates to therapy. Some years ago, I had a private practice in a building with four other professionals, and we had a ritual of regular lunch meetings to connect with one another and just hang out. So there we were during one of these lunches, three therapists, a lawyer, and a tutor, just chatting, when my lawyer friend, whom I greatly respect, rather awkwardly said something like, so I'm not trying to sound rude, but I'm really curious, does therapy actually work? As you might expect, dead silence followed. Essentially, he was questioning whether our profession had any legitimacy at all, or if we were all just peddling snake oil. In that silence, I wrestled with quite a few thoughts and feelings. Part of me honestly wanted to fall off my chair laughing at a pretty awkward moment among friends. Part of me was appreciative of the safety we felt that he could ask such a question. And at the same time, I felt genuinely curious to understand my friend's thoughts and to hear my colleague's response. I was also curious to hear my own response. The more I sat with my curiosity, the more I came to appreciate how great a question it was and is. In the intervening years, I've heard similar questions and comments from enough people to have an even deeper appreciation for my friend's courage in asking something lots of people are clearly wondering. 2004 APA survey found that 78% of those polled identified lack of confidence in the outcome as the major reason for not seeking therapy. 78% don't want to seek therapy because of lack of confidence in the outcome. Since then, there's been a very dramatic shift. In 2018, a national UHC survey cited 72% say they would voluntarily seek support from a mental health professional. And while I think it's safe to say that from 2018 to now, 
there's been even more of an increase in acceptance of therapy as a legitimate form of support, I think the initial question remains valid. It's been quite a few years for me since that awkward lunch break question. And while I'm sure we therapists gave extremely profound and witty responses, I honestly don't remember what they were. So I'm happy to have this opportunity to explore this idea and question more fully. Does therapy actually work? And is change really possible? If it does, what's the secret to the sauce? As noted, my friend wasn't the only one with that question. A lot of people wonder the same thing, including some brilliant researchers who have put a ton of effort into empirically answering these questions with solid data. Long story short, yes, therapy does in fact work and enduring change is possible. In fact, it's really quite astonishing how well therapy, quote, works. 80% of the time, therapy works. Another way of saying that is if you compare two people with similar struggles, one of them in therapy, one of them not, 80% of the time, the one utilizing therapy is going to fare better than the one who does not utilize therapy. In the medical world, these kinds of results are practically unheard of. Most drugs, prescription and over-the-counter, would give their right leg to have anything remotely close to that rate of effectiveness. For example, one large-scale clinical trial of aspirin as a heart attack deterrent found an effect size of 3%. 3% effectiveness for aspirin as compared to 80% for therapy. And yet, I feel pretty confident that in a survey of public perception of confidence, aspirin would consistently beat out therapy. I've got some thoughts about why that might be, but for now, let's stay focused on the question at hand. So there's compelling research suggesting therapy works really well. The next and most important question is, how does therapy work well? The answers may be both surprising while at the same time feel like something you already knew. Let's rewind to 2005. I was in my first graduate class at Virginia Tech reading my first assigned book about therapy when I came across a paragraph that both stunned me and at the same time resonated down to my toes. What I read encouraged me in what I already felt in my heart and mind, but didn't feel confident enough to talk about. The book is a meta-analysis or a review of research on mental health therapies. It's called Escape from Babel. It's a reference to the infamous Tower of Babel, or Babel, depending on your preference. The Tower of Babel refers to a biblical story of a community trying to build a tower to reach heaven. Spoiler alert, they don't actually make it to heaven, and it's a colossal failure on many, many levels. But in my mind, the authors of Escape from Babel use this reference to make a statement about purveyors of therapy models who tout their model as the holy grail of therapy with a proven record that will get you or your target population to heaven quicker and better than the next person's therapeutic model, when really, the therapeutic model, just like the tower, won't actually get you to heaven, i.e. fast-track healing. Does this sound familiar? How many diet plans can you name that claim to be, quote, the way to reaching all your health goals? We see the same phenomenon in a hundred other areas, from medications to vehicles to clothes. Thousands of people want to convince us that their thing is the thing to make our lives awesome. And because therapists are people too, it shouldn't come as a surprise that some in the field fall into this trap. 
Just as the Tower of Babel didn't get anyone to heaven, there's pretty compelling evidence that says that there's no one therapy model out there that is the perfect fit for everybody and is going to fast-track people to healing. Referring to therapy models in existence, Escape from Babel makes this bold statement right out of the gate. 40 years of sophisticated outcome research has not found any one theory, model, method, or package of techniques to be reliably better than any other. Wowzers, that's a strong statement. I'm going to read it again. 40 years of sophisticated outcome research has not found any one theory, model, method, or package of techniques to be reliably better than any other. That is a very bold statement. They go on to say that not only is the specific therapeutic model insignificant in determining treatment outcomes, but that of all the factors contributing to therapeutic change, therapy models carries the least, if any, weight. I.e., the tower isn't what gets you to heaven. Let's take a second to think about that. If it's not the tower, and here you can substitute tower with heating plan, trendy clothes, neighborhood, vehicle, number on a scale, promotion, etc. If it's not that that is going to get you where you want to go, what is it? What are some of the ways you have in the past or are currently pinning your hopes on a metaphorical Tower of Babel? In what ways is it comforting to do so? And how might this be distracting you from the actual path to where you want to be. There's a lot to think about there. And this may be a good moment to pause this conversation and take a few notes to return to later. But for now, let's get back to the story. Here I am just starting graduate school and learning that therapy models basically don't matter. Quick note, I'm exaggerating a little bit for effect. Therapy models actually do matter. In fact, they matter a great deal but just not in the sense that any one therapy model on its own is the secret to healing. So you might be wondering why these ideas would be so exciting and powerful to my younger self just learning the art of therapy. And the answer is this. I didn't pursue therapy as a career because I wanted to learn some flashy therapeutic model that would in some mysterious way, quote, fix another person's problems. And I certainly didn't get into this work because I wanted to be an quote, expert telling other people what to do. I was drawn to this world because I am in awe and fascination of the human experience, and I want to have deep and meaningful connections with people who, like me, are trying their hardest every day to figure out how to be their best selves. And this idea that there's much more to it than just learning a fancy therapy model gave me such critical validation and direction in developing my fledgling model of therapy. So how does it make sense that the therapy model doesn't really matter, yet therapy is still effective? Great question. As it turns out, there are, in fact, measurable variables consistent across all therapy models, which account for the majority of change in therapy. Happily for me, those variables are all about the reasons I got into this work in the first place. And that is connection. Connection between two human beings collaborating for a shared vision with each of their input being critical for success. So, with this encouragement, I began my career connecting with and helping others and myself grow and change. 
After nearly 17 years of very intentional efforts being the best therapist I can be, I've learned quite a bit about what helps and what doesn't. You've already heard me talk about the five C's of courage, curiosity, compassion, creativity, and connection. And I'll talk about those many, many more times. These are umbrella principles at the heart of any sustainable growth. But right now I want to discuss some more specific application of these principles that are part of my model for therapy. First and foremost, you are your own best expert. When people learn that I'm a therapist, I get a range of responses, some of them quite hilarious. But I think the two most frequent and telling responses are, people will say, great. Now I'm self-conscious because I know you're psychoanalyzing everything I say and do. The second most common response I get is, that is so cool. I wish I could get paid to tell people what to do. When the reality is, I spend very little energy psychoanalyzing clients, and I'm certainly not interested in doing that with friends and family. In general, the only time I give a diagnosis is per my client's request for insurance purposes, and I virtually never tell my clients what to do, though I sometimes may strongly recommend. I believe that no one knows us like we know ourselves, and by far the best solutions to our problems are going to come from us. For me, my job as a therapist is to facilitate an environment where it's safe to explore who you are and then support you in implementing what feels right to you. You are the most powerful and critical factor in your change, and it's my job to help you find your power and then get out of the way while encouraging you as you figure out how to use it. This leads me to my second point, which is this. Safety in relationships is an extremely rare thing and at the same time is the core ingredient to creating an environment for sustainable change. How many relationships do you have where you feel 100% comfortable to share any, and I mean any, thought, feeling, or behavior you may experience? If you're like most people I know, the answer is none. From the moment we're brought into this world, we begin internalizing messages about all the shoulds and shouldn'ts of life, about the right way to be a man, woman, mother, father, parent, sibling, coworker, etc., the, quote, right way to be a certain race, religion, age, nationality, and on and on, or how to manage different emotions, which emotions are acceptable, how to manage conflict, failure, success, power, lack of control, and on and on and on. We are steeped in societal pressures and expectations from the moment we are born, and we internalize those to some degree or another, whether we want to or not. And no matter how much our parents, partners, or friends love us, those relationships come with certain expectations about what is acceptable to say, do, think, and feel. And those expectations tend to shut the door on being genuinely curious about exploring who we are. For me... The most powerful gift I can give a client is to do my part to develop a relationship where it's truly safe to talk about, feel about, and be curious about virtually anything and everything that comes into the mind, body, and heart. When that level of safety is established, my clients and I become co-collaborators exploring the depths of human experience without judgment and finding solutions that uniquely fit them. 
these are beautiful moments when they happen. And the entire reason I got into this line of work. So what are some of the things about you that you keep hidden from the world? Now imagine being able to explore those with someone and feeling completely safe and accepted in doing so. No judgment, no shame, no evaluation, just acceptance, compassion, and curiosity. How might that feel? This is the power of connection and where healing and true solutions come from. Now imagine that someone could be yourself. Now that's powerful. How does one learn this, you might ask? Part of the answer is found in this next idea. Curiosity with compassion is critical. It's so important it's in the five C's and right here. Curiosity is a beautiful thing. Curiosity, in its purest sense, doesn't allow for having a stance or judging, criticizing what is discovered. Curiosity is about wanting to understand just for the sake of understanding. A simple example of true curiosity for me would be watching a program on National Geographic and just being fascinated by what I learn about a certain phenomenon. I don't bother to judge the cactus for how it goes about saving water and protecting itself in such a harsh climate. I'm just curious for the sake of knowing. We all have this ability, but unfortunately, living in such a polarized world is becoming more and more difficult to truly be curious about anything, especially other humans, and most importantly, ourselves. But the fact is, curiosity is a muscle that can be developed like any other. And it's a key component to understanding and accepting who we are while simultaneously finding sustainable solutions to becoming who we want to be. I get that these two ideas, accepting who and where we are while also wanting to become something different, may seem contradictory, but they're not. I hope this becomes more evident as we continue this journey. Consistently, one of the most powerful and healing experiences for my clients is the seemingly simple but surprisingly rare experience of having another person genuinely and deeply curious to understand them with no agenda for changing them. This opens the door to learning to be curious and compassionate with oneself, which is where the true power lies. Closely related to curiosity is another ingredient of change. Mindfulness. It's a concept that's been a buzzword in psychology and pop psychology for a good many years now. And as is often the case when good science goes viral, the concepts behind it are sometimes misunderstood and or applied. The mindfulness I'm referring to, in a nutshell, is an experience of observation and awareness of all the different parts of ourselves from a place of acceptance. Like all skills, mindfulness can be learned. It is also the case that mindfulness can be a much more flexible and varied experience than many believe, and can be done in a million creative ways. Essentially, it's a state of being much more than an activity we do, and it can incorporate all the vicissitudes of life. The exercise we did at the beginning of this conversation was just one small example of flexing the mindfulness muscle. We're going to keep flexing as we move forward. Let's talk about the next rule for now which is experience. 
As powerful as a healing therapeutic relationship can be, new beliefs and awareness need to move beyond the therapy relationship and be intentionally experienced in the world before truly becoming part of the whole person. This is partly why I feel it's so important to have the active forum community as part of these conversations. In order to truly benefit from our insights, we need to act on them. And the forum is a great place where we can find encouragement and motivation as we actively do the work of growing, while also experiencing acceptance, curiosity, and courage, etc. Okay, final ingredient to my therapy model. As controversial as it may be, I got to agree with Dumbledore on this one and say, love. Love is powerful and needful. Now, this is a very nuanced and slippery topic. and I've heard lots of popular messaging around self-love as the thing we all need. And that we can and should love and accept ourselves regardless of how people treat us or what we've been through or are going through. Now, in theory, I'd say, sure, let's all do that. But in reality, if we don't know what it feels like to have someone genuinely care for us, how are we supposed to figure out how to do it for ourselves? And it may be that lots of people have loved us, but we didn't know how to accept their love. Or they didn't give love in a way that made sense to us. Or maybe we do have some level of self-love, but we just don't know how to embrace it. As I said, it's a complex topic. For now, I'll just say, it's pretty hard to have curiosity with compassion for ourselves if we don't know how to love ourselves at least a little bit. I believe that we all have that spark of self-love. If we didn't, we wouldn't be tuning into this podcast. My hope is that these conversations can help us all grow that spark into much more. Okay, so let me quickly recap what I have found are six ingredients of my model for sustainable growth and change. Number one, accepting ourselves as our own best expert. Number two, a safe relationship, including and especially our relationship with ourselves. Number three, curiosity with compassion. Number four, mindfulness. Number five, experience. And finally, number six, self-love, which is greatly facilitated by first feeling love from someone else. Let's take a second and think about these ideas. What resonates with you? Which areas do you feel most comfortable with? Where do you feel a lack? What are you curious to explore and understand better about yourself? What memories or relationships do you find yourself thinking about in relationship to these ideas? Whatever is coming up for you, it's something that merits your attention and curiosity. Whatever you're thinking about is not right or wrong. It's just something to be curious about. And I strongly encourage you to take a note, whether on your phone, in your journal, out loud to someone else, or out loud to yourself, so that you can continue to explore and understand yourself better. Alrighty, we have talked about a whole lot here. Lots of ideas for our consideration, things to ponder and reflect on. And before we end, I just want to express my gratitude for being with you on this journey, for having a sense of community, for having these ideas and concepts really just to, to wrestle with and to help us all understand ourselves better. I'm super excited for this 
coming year and what it has to offer for all of us and for our community. I believe deeply in the principles that we're talking about. I believe deeply in their ability to transform our lives and our relationships and just can't wait to see what this year has to offer us. I know that lives are busy and so it's hard to take time for ourselves, Uh, but I'm so grateful that we've all taken this time for ourselves and want to encourage each of us to also give ourselves the gift of spending some time with the mindfulness track that accompanies this conversation to give ourselves a chance to go a little deeper into understanding ourselves and how some of these ideas sit with us. Okay, last thoughts. As a therapist, I have learned that virtually everyone around us is carrying some sort of heavy burden. I believe that these principles we're talking about can help lift those burdens, and I just want to invite all of us to share, to share this resource with somebody you feel could benefit, whether that's family, friends, your social networks, whoever it might be. And there's another piece to this, which is we are social animals and there is strength in community. As our numbers grow, so does our strength and the benefit that we receive from this entire experience. Thanks again for tuning in and for being open to a process and and for having the courage to be willing to explore yourselves, to be curious about who you are. Here's to finding increased courage, curiosity, compassion, creativity and connection in 2024. I look forward to talking to you next week. Take care.